0: Welcome to Traveling Culturati, where we explore cultures and share travel news, travel tips, destinations, and travel chats. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Well, hey there, fellow Culturati, Javon Harley here, your host and travel pro for Traveling Culturati. Make sure you head on over to the website, TravelingCulturati.com, and join the travel club. We have gone to some fantastic places in 2023. More to come for the rest of the year. Greece is coming up September 1st through the 9th. And also Belize is coming up November 16th. November 10th through the 16th. You don't want to miss that. We're gonna have a little pausing and a little playing (laughs) while we are in Belize taking care of our health, doing some self care going to the jungle and also going to the islands well today healthcare professional yolanda como will join me with some tips to keep your skin healthy and protected for your summer's activities we'll also have javon's travel minute and the culture report but right now let's get into a little travel news I have some great news, that is airfares are going down. Yes, airfares have already gone down 19% from last year. We saw a bit of a hike earlier this year, but starting this summer in June 22 over June of 23, average prices fell 19%. And it's been the steepest decrease in airfare since February of 2021. That's the second month in a row where we saw a huge year-over-year drop in average airfares. In May, airfares went down 13% from May of 22, which was the biggest drop since March of 21. So we're seeing airfares steadily and increasingly go down. But we know that airfare is not a monolith. And just because they're dropping from here to there, there are tens of millions of individual fares out there so you may be looking at a route saying well i don't see the decrease some will go up some will go down it is a constant that's happening and what i'm talking about is that overall airfare the bottom line is cheap flights haven't gone anywhere we are now seeing that adjustment after what we called the revenge travel (laughs) so that's something certainly to look forward to especially this summer now there is a huge ship that's about to hit the waters. The soon to debut Royal Caribbean ship called Icon of the Seas will be a 250,800 ton ship and it'll measure 6% bigger than the current size leader in the cruise world, Royal Caribbean's one-year-old wonder of the seas the interesting thing in the comparison is that the wonder of the seas will carry more passengers but the icon of the seas will have two more decks yes it's going to be a taller ship It's roughly the same length as Wonder of the Seas, 1,098 feet versus 1,088 feet. And the same in width, 213 feet versus 211. So there are not many differences there. But again, with those two extra decks, it's also going to have a water park, so a lot more family friendly activities and facilities will be on board the icon of the seas but you know what i want you to hit me up and tell me what you think about such a big ship and how ships are really getting bigger and bigger whether it's by passenger capacity or whether it's by activities or two extra decks how do you feel about these iconic ships that are towering in and one topping the next one, they're gigantic. And some people are really up in arms and calling it a monstrosity. <laughs> so and tell me what you think about it. Would it be something that you would be concerned about traveling on? Well, United Airlines has reached a deal with its pilots, even as the union issues are Actually heading in airports across Europe, United Airlines has reached an agreement in principle with its pilots to pay 40% more over the next four years. The agreement will still need to be ratified by the 16,000 pilots in the union and it's worth an estimated $10 billion. The Airline Pilots Association said, in addition to pay raises, it includes provisions related to improved quality of work life, job security, work rules, retirement, and benefits. So it certainly is a good job market for pilots, and things are certainly looking better. As of September 22, The industry has reportedly been short by about 8,000 pilots, a number expected to swell to a shortage of about 1,000 to 30,000 by 2025. United also plans to hire more than 7,000 aircraft mechanics. With United coming on board, the major U.S. carriers, with the notable exception of Southwest Airlines, have reached tentative agreements. American Airlines pilots will vote on their preliminary agreement later this month. The airline has said it will match its peers if their offers are higher. Delta Airlines earlier this year agreed to increase wages by 34% over three years, but the Southwest Airlines Pilots Association last month asked to be released from federal mediation, and 99% of its pilots in May voted to authorize a strike and one thing that has been looming is passports yes the need for a passport and the time it's going to take to get a passport now Right now, we're looking at processing times of 10 to 13 weeks for regular and seven to nine weeks for expedited. Yes, expedited. You pay double the amount and you're only getting them a couple of weeks earlier, but seven to nine weeks certainly is shorter than 10 to 13. However, the passport agency, the State Department, is testing a new application process. It's called the Passport Acceptance Facility, such as passport offices, libraries, and local government offices. They're hosting special passport acceptance fairs across the United States to help families apply for passports. The State Department explains that most events are for first-time customers and children using the application for a passport form DS-11 to apply. Importantly, the U.S. State Department adds that if you have a passport and are eligible to renew it by mail, you should do so. You can renew your passport by mail if it is not damaged, was never lost or reported stolen, was issued within the last 15 years, and was issued in your current legal name. The passport acceptance fares will be held in New Jersey and in California, however, Others are slated for Connecticut, Florida, Georgia, and Massachusetts. You can see the list of upcoming events at Special Passport Acceptance Fairs. So you want to go to travel.state.gov and also look it up under Special Passport Acceptance Fairs. Be sure to continue checking the website for Passport Acceptance Fairs because new events will be added each week according to the State Department. Alternatively, if none of these events will be near your home, the State Department also maintains a list of post offices, public libraries, and government offices that will accept a U.S. passport application. The list is searchable by zip code. You can see which of those facilities is near your location using the passport acceptance Fair tool. Now, nearly 400,000 passport applications are received every week. And this is why the passport processing times are so long. So if you're even thinking of traveling, make sure you check your passport. If your passport needs to be renewed, definitely take care of that as soon as possible. And you will probably have to use that expedite fee if you have travel plans coming up. Is there a Senate bill that could possibly eliminate points and miles? Well, not directly, but it may affect them indirectly. And this is based on some history. So the Credit Card Competition Act of 2023 is aimed to lower credit card processing fees. Now, how does this affect your miles? Well, that means that if fees are too high or too low for the issuing banks if it's too expensive for them to process credit cards they're going to or possibly will limit the number of cards they issue and in prior occurrences when something like this has happened they have eliminated a travel reward or cashback type of credit card that is issued specifically in conjunction with a hotel or airline so that you can gain miles and i'm telling you this is something that's really huge because i have reached certain status primarily by using a credit card that is associated with an airline so when you're not able to actually fly to gain those points, you can use a credit card to do so. But if the banks feel that it is too expensive for them to carry those cards, then it could mean that we could see a decline in the number of credit card rewards or loyalty points credit cards. So let's see how this plays out, and hopefully it won't in the past. Some banks limited the number of cards that they issued but some banks didn't and some banks just kind of limited what they were. So maybe cut back on a hotel but not an airline credit card. So again, let's see how this plays out but it may not affect us and it's certainly not gonna affect us anytime soon. Talking about decrease of airfares, car rental rates are also decreasing this month. And if you remember during the pandemic car rental rates were through the roof yes remember that car rental companies sold off their fleets they were limited in the number of cars they had you could be spending anywhere from three to five hundred dollars a day based on your location and car rentals were very very limited were there now Much back in business. The demand has really decreased as well, so that means that the prices have gone down. And again, talking about this revenge and rebound travel, things are really leveling off now, but you can definitely see or start to see a decrease in car rental rates as the rental car companies have increased their fleet and. The overall demand is just down a little bit you're looking at the difference of about 5% over last year that the rental rates have decreased and speaking of car rental or even just driving through a state there's something that you need to know you can't drive in Florida if you have a license from four states they are Connecticut, Delaware, Hawaii, and Vermont. Those driver's licenses are no longer valid in Florida. Under a new state law, drivers from these states may have trouble driving through Florida. So aimed at cracking down on undocumented immigrants, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis declared that driver's licenses and driving permits from these states are now invalid. The law came into effect July 1st. Again, that's Vermont, Connecticut, Rhode Island, Hawaii, and Delaware. That's all I've got for travel news. And when I come back, Yolanda Como is going to join the conversation so that we can have some healthy skin this summer as we are having fun in the summer sun. This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well-informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Welcome back to the Traveling Culturati. I'm your host and travel pro, Javon Harley. Head on over to the website, TravelingCulturati.com Make sure you join the Travel Club and follow us on social media. We really want to know what you're up to as well. And now, Javon's
1: Travel Minute.
0: The hottest travel accessory right now is the baggage tracker. Yep, that's right. The bag mishandling rate was up 74.7% in 2022 compared to the previous year, according to data from CETA which offers various IT solutions, including baggage tracking for the aviation industry. Out of every 1,000 bags to take to the skies, 7.6 were lost last year, compared to 4.35 per 1,000 in 2021 and 5.6 per 1,000 in 2019. The first quarter of 2022, more than 684,000 bags were mishandled. This is according to data from Air Travel Consumer Reports that was published by the Department of Transportation. Bags for international flights are eight times as likely to be mishandled than those on domestic flights due to the likelihood of them being transferred. Connections account for nearly half of the incidents. However, you don't have to have a complex itinerary for the airline to lose your bag. A whopping 17% of mishandled bags in 2022 were simply never loaded onto the plane in the first place. The sudden surge in travel has led to increased disruptions that are compounded by a shortage of skilled staff. And while knowing where it doesn't guarantee you'll get it back, you have more of a fighting chance. As for one to get, I'm not going to endorse anyone in particular. You can check your cell phone provider and search for best luggage tracker options. I will say this, however, on what to consider when getting a luggage or baggage tracker. How it is activated. Some trackers are only activated if scanned by a good Samaritan or luggage handler who is trying to track down the owner. While this will ensure the most luggage gets found, the tags are attached to the luggage outside and It isn't bulletproof. Two, the battery. Most, but not all, tags include batteries. You'll need to make sure the battery will last for the duration of your trip. And then there's the subscription fee. Some of the most effective trackers require a monthly subscription fee for regular travelers. It may be worth it. For a special occasion, check to see if you can do a short-term subscription. This is Javon and that was your travel minute joining us today. Healthcare professional Yolanda Como is back with another installment of Staying Healthy While You Travel. And today we're tackling sun care. Yes, summer is here. Hello, Yolanda, and welcome to Traveling Culturati. Great. How are you doing, Jufar? Great to be back. Great. Yes, it's summertime. And you know we have a lot of things to consider for summer. But before we start, do you have a baggage tracker? I have one, but I haven't used it. No. I do have one, yes. So you let the battery die or the subscription it die? It might have died,
2: but well, I have the one. I don't think I really need a subscription. Air tag. your
0: Yeah. And that's what I meant by check your cellular provider, oh, okay. because a lot of cellular providers or cell phone providers have some kind of tracking as well. It's really a good idea to have one. But if you don't, if you don't want the subscription or if you don't have one that comes without a subscription, it's always best to take a picture of your luggage so that you can describe it. Oftentimes we think we know what our luggage looks like, but maybe not the brand and all of that. And I always say, put a luggage tag on the outside and on the inside. Mm. Very, very important. Good idea. Yeah. Yeah. So summer's here. Finally. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Finally. I
2: mean, our winters are so long. And, you know, I just look forward to summer. I look forward to the sun. More and more sun. Daily sun. And yeah, summer's here. Here comes the sun. Let's talk about
0: sun and sunscreen, because that's really the biggest thing. And not that we don't have to worry about sunscreen when it's not summer, but certainly more so in summer because we're outdoors more. And even in some cases, we're lying out in the sun, but we spend right. more time out. So who should
2: use sunscreen? Well, the shorter answer to that would be everyone, Mm. men, women, children, children over six months. Everyone should be using sunscreen. You know what? Everyone should be using it every day. You should be using it daily. This includes if you're a person who tans easily or you don't even tan at all. Daily use of this product or sunscreen is crucial because our skin would be damaged by sun exposure over a lifetime. If you are a woman or even a guy, I mean, even your daily products, your moisturizers, You should read the packaging on it. It may have sunscreen in it. And if it doesn't, you should be using sunscreen with it. So sunscreen does more than just allow a golden tan. I mean, it protects you from harmful sun rays by preventing you from developing skin cancer, which is a very serious condition. And reportedly, we've been seeing it more and more. People are coming in to have lesions and stuff taken off their skin, and it's possibly
0: from being exposed to the sun. But I think back to when I was younger, and of course we were out in the sun all the time, and I think about the type of sun care that we used, and sometimes it was just baby oil.
2: A lot of people don't believe in global warming and climate change, and the sun rays are able to filter through more so now mm. because the earth is so vulnerable and so damaged right now. Mm-hmm. So the earth is hotter and we're just vaguely exposed more to the sun. I mean, regardless, I mean, even if it had that protective shield that was protecting the rays from coming through mm. as violent as it is now, years ago, like you said, as you were growing
0: up, it's like it's open season now right. with the sun. Okay, so global warming has a lot to do with that. So what is the importance of sunscreen and broad spectrum? And I ask this because you often see UVA, UVB, UV rays. Really, what does all of that mean? The broad spectrum sunscreens means that the product
2: protects you against both AV, UVA, and UVB. With UVA rays, it damages collagen and elastin in your skin resulting in like saggy skin and fine lines and wrinkles or even worse, cancer. The rays and the UVA are longer and can cause this type of damage to your skin. But the rays and the UVB consist of shorter wavelengths and they can cause some burns, which leads to cancer. Okay. Now, when I was telling you about the fine lines and the wrinkles and the sagginess, you'll see this depending on person's lines of work and how long they are in the sun. I don't know if you've ever seen this one picture of a truck driver. One yeah. side of his face was really wrinkled and damaged, and that was in the left yeah. side really. The difference on the right side was much more finer than mm-hmm. that left side. The left side was very wrinkled and sagginess. And that's from his years and hours of driving the truck Hmm. and being exposed to the sun.
0: Wow. And yeah, you can see they call them the farmer tans or the truck driver tans, especially the farmer tans. They have on the short sleeve shirts. So they're tanned (laughs) from. Right, <laughs> Only part of their arm. Now, just as we hear about UVA or UVB, we hear about SPF. So what are we talking about when we say SPF and, and what's the importance of it? How do we use it or navigate it?
2: SPF stands for the sun
0: protection
2: factor. It's identified by numbers. Sometimes you'll hear SPF 40 or SPF 30 or SPF 15. The number tells you how long the sun's UV ultraviolet B rays would take to redden your skin, for instance. So, if you applied the sunscreen exactly and is directed compared to the amount of time without having the sunscreen, that gives you how much protection from that number. So, for instance, everyday use of sunscreen may contain a lower SPF, a lower sun protection factor. Like 15, that's the lowest. But if you're like in the sun directly, it's gonna require SPS, more protection, like 30 or higher. So if you're out taking the walks in the park or going to the grocery store, you're gonna be out in the sun. Or if you're like just lying on the beach, you're gonna, need more protection. So a 15 is not going to take care of you, keep you protected. But the everyday 15, like I said, if you're going to work or even if you're sitting in your home and the sun is beaming through your window. And yeah, that's every day. Women like us, we wear moisturizer and we hydrate in the morning, get our day going. Make sure you have some SPF in your moisturizer. And if not, you should be using that. Now, what about the
0: fairness of your skin? If you have fairer skin, should you go for a higher SPF or is it really just based on the amount of time that you're out? It's based on the amount of time that you're out, but the
2: fairer skin, yes, you will need a daily wear of SPF as well.
0: Yeah, I know when I'm going to destinations where I know I'm going to be on the beach, in the water, swimming outside all day in that capacity, I get SPF 100. Well, also because I thought having fairer skin, I would need a higher number in protection, but also knowing that I'm at the beach, I'm Mm -hmm. swimming and all of that. So what about the use of it and SPF, especially when we're out and about and we're looking at those with higher numbers?
2: For the best protection, it's recommended that you choose waterproof sunscreens and they should be 30 or higher. SPF. And if you're going to be in direct sunlight, extended for long periods of time, such as when you're swimming or playing sports, you want to use higher SPFs like 50, like you just said, or 100, and reapply frequently. But make sure you read the directions on those sunscreen products. Every two hours, for instance, you hmm. should be replenishing. So, I mean, if you're at the beach, you're probably at the beach for what, a couple hours or even more. And you're going in and out of the water if you're on the
0: beach. So just remember, you yeah. have to reapply for that protection. I think we all kind of slack with that because we give ourselves a good. Yeah,
1: I, s- <laughs> I know. I see people like really, you <laughs> know, you forget about it. Yeah. Um,
0: but especially I know if I'm going swimming in the ocean or the pool, then I'll reapply when I come out, but I won't say every two hours or that I'm reapplying as frequently probably as I should. And I wonder what percentage of people are actually doing that. Probably very little. I know. Yeah. And
2: yeah, they should really think about that. And once again, you should be focusing on purchasing waterproof sunscreen as well, choosing that type of product. Now,
0: there's a lot of misconceptions. Or maybe we're getting some things wrong. What things are we getting wrong and what are those biggest misconceptions?
2: Well, as you mentioned earlier about when you were younger back in the day, I remember back in the day, too, when, Mm -hmm. you know, in the sun, we're lathering ourselves up with baby oil and baby lotion, thinking we're going to not necessarily be protected from the sun. But but get a better tan. Yeah, you know, (laughs) get a nicer looking, you know, skin tone or whatever, but The myth is this is better for you, but it really isn't. That would be the myth. Products like this should not be replacing sunscreens, okay? Some people believe these products will protect their skin while they're tanning, but instead these products do not protect you at all. I mean, harm from sun rays. The truth is when your skin is disposed with bare skin, with lotions and body oils, you have zero sun protection. And just saying that, that scares me. Yeah, I wonder, you know, when I see people on the beach, is anybody out there bare skin without anything Hmm. on them?
0: Maybe those that look really, really
2: red. (laughs) That really scares me. And if you are red, you're burning, that's a problem. Yeah. So pick up some sunscreen, people, and read the packaging and see what you need to do to protect yourself. Because sunburns and skin cancer is very, very serious.
0: Well, I'm sure it is. And I want to talk about that a little bit more as far as you know what that really means. But I know those of us who are highly melanated, I'm not one, <laughs> but uh, those that are highly melanated, do they need less SPF or should they also be measuring that more on the length of time and not the complexion of the skin?
2: So they too should be measuring that with the length of time that they're going to be spending in the sun or being exposed to the sun, but also they do require less, mm. but they need some sunscreen. And back in the day, I heard Black I didn't need crack. it. I don't, yeah. yeah, I don't need to put that on. I'm good. I'm fine. But no, yeah. you're not. Today you do need some form of coverage protection, even if you are very dark complexed Yeah.
0: And a darker complexion can still burn. It may they, look different than someone who's a very fair complexion, but, it can burn. And more importantly, it can get skin cancer. So skin cancer does not discriminate. So that's something to be very aware of. So let's talk about protecting ourselves and skin cancer and how that all relates to one another.
2: Well, you can get a chart easily, or you can go online and look at it. And when you buy your sunscreen, they should have like a graph on there to tell you, are you very fair, complexed fair, light, medium, or dark? Mm-hmm. And Also, it'll line it up with how many hours a day you're going to be in the sun. And if you follow the guide, it will show you how much SPF you would be required or recommended to wear for your duration of your activities that you're going to be doing for the day.
0: Now, what about absorption through the skin of the products that you're using? For example, if you're putting on SPF, how does it react with Let's say, for example, vitamin D and what your skin is absorbing. Oh,
2: okay. Your body makes vitamin D and it gives a little help with direct sunlight. So what it does is that when you're out in the sun, you probably heard people say, I need some vitamin D, my mm-hmm. vitamin D is low. And you hear someone else tell you, "Well, go out in the sun. Well, what happens is the sun reacts a chemical in your body that reacts to vitamin D because your body can't vitamin D. So... You were saying about the absorption of it. I mean, you're going to have on some sunscreen. You're Mm -hmm. not going to go out there and just stand there for an hour in the sun to absorb some sun so you can get vitamin D. But it does help the vitamin D ability and production in your body along the way by being in direct sun. Because there's a chemical in your body that's reactive from the sun that helps your body to produce the vitamin D. And vitamin D absorption, what it does is it retains calcium and phosphorus which your body needs for bone growth okay Okay. even in senior years you might not be getting bone growth anymore but you're getting the stability of your bones so you don't get osteoporosis or help you prevent from falling and uh, if you fail you will survive from a break in the fall your hip or your knee or what have you but it does help in bone production in young people middle-aged people and it also protects seniors as well
0: What other ways can we protect ourselves?
2: Cover up. If you're going to be walking, you know, and it's a very sunny day, I mean, there's no need for you to lie around in the sun. You want to wear like a wide brim hat or something with a visor. Try and wear sunglasses. Some people don't wear sunglasses at all, but I think it's a good thing if you had a pair to protect your eyes as well. Because the sun can be very harmful to your eyes. Mm. Wear long sleeves. Cover up any exposed skin. Try not to expose skin. I mean, if it's 90, 80, 90 degrees, naturally, people want to be out there. But if you are going to expose your skin, please protect it with some sunscreen.
0: And I think a lot of times we think about that as far as warmth and sun, but it could be cool but the sun is shining and so you yeah. still need to protect yourself
2: oh definitely just as i said if you're sitting at home and by mm-hmm. the window and you're reading a book the sun rays are filtering through the window and that's why i said your daily use aware of a sunscreen at 15 that's a daily sunscreen spf yeah one thing you shouldn't do if you can prevent it is not go out in the sun when it's the hottest between 11 and 3 p.m yeah that's why
0: they used to call it high noon When the sun was the highest.
2: Oh, yeah. It's really dangerous. the strongest. It's the strongest and it can be very dangerous. Yeah. One thing you should do as well is stay hydrated. Mm. You know, drink your fluids. That helps with the body
0: replenishes and, you know, also protect your cells. I always think about the ladies that are gardening with the big old Mm. hats. And that (laughs) was really to help protect them from the sun.
2: Oh, yes, definitely. But... sunscreen comes in many many forms and Mm -hmm. you can protect yourself i mean if you're not even carrying a bag or they have it sunscreens they're portable now you know just stick something in your pocket and i do want to say this i know we're talking about the skin and protecting ourselves but one thing you should be protecting are your lips where your lip balm i wear i put lip balm with sunscreen i put that on daily And that could be a problem. People come in with lesions on their lips. Hmm.
0: I would imagine that's probably one of the more neglected areas when it comes to sunscreen. Do people really think about a lip balm and one with SPF? I
2: hope that they do. But lip balm is extremely important. If you don't want to do the creams or the lotions of sunscreen, they have like the face sticks, just like a roller stick. It comes in 15 and 30, and I think it may even come in 50 SPF. Mm-hmm. So you can just toss that in the bag. It's very portable. Also, something that gives you a nice mist of coolness, they have it in mist sprays mm-hmm. sunscreen. So I think that's nice to carry around as well.
0: What about in the unfortunate event you got sunburned? What do we need to do and what do we need to know about navigating that?
2: Well, sunburn is very, very painful. It can be very painful depending on how burned you are. So naturally, you're going to want some comfort. And you can't take over-the-counter meds. Our go-to meds, of course, are acetaminophen, the Tylenols, and the ibuprofen. So that's what help with pain relieves. And you can get a fever. You can get mm-hmm. nauseous with some burns depending on how badly you're burned. It's very uncomfortable. And they also like topical creams to help cool the screen down and cool you down as well. And remember, please drink plenty of water. Now, when should you seek
0: medical assistance? When should you go to the doctor?
2: If you start peeling, and if it becomes a sore of any sort, and be careful, too, if there's peeling and there's leakage or a leak. Like a blister? Yeah, Yeah. just be careful. If it starts looking really ugly, you may have to even get antibiotics. Mm -hmm. So you may end up going to the hospital or going to see your primary care physician. Yeah, so
0: you kind of think peeling happens after... Your skin starts to shed basically. Right. But are you talking about immediately after too much sun exposure? If you're seeing um- the peeling,
2: isn't going to start to after a day or two, a couple of days. Mm-hmm. But the peeling beneath the peeling, if you haven't seen there's some breaking your skin, mm. that may become a problem because you may require some antibiotics to help with that. And also your doctor is probably going to want to take some maybe biopsies, just if at that moment after it heals, just to see what's going on, Mm -hmm. just to make sure you hadn't been exposed and something is developing there.
0: Right. Now, I know you've said several times today drinking water, but I want to talk a little bit more about hydration and the importance of it and how much we should be drinking and how often we should be drinking. Water, that is. Water,
2: yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, because a lot of times when you're on the beach, you're not drinking water. Well, most people aren't. They're drinking drinks, alcohol, and, and other beverages. But water can be your friend. You want to keep yourselves nice and hydrated so you can feel well because physicians and everybody who has their take on stay well hydrated they have their take on it I see people walking around with I don't know what like a gallon bottle and filling it up all day I'm like you're drinking that much water you should be <laughs> no really because I'm thinking should you just drink when you're thirst and not because you're trying to meet a goal I don't know. What is your take? On well,
0: that? I just heard and have read that you should be drinking half your body weight in ounces of water. So the water intake is not going to be the same per person because right. you're different, your body weight and what you may need and also your activities. If you're out running, of course, you're getting rid of some fluids and things. Right. And so you need to replenish those. But what if their own body isn't triggering them enough to drink and maybe they don't know that they should be drinking more or some you mean people, like a senior well person? you're saying should you only drink when you're thirsty but what if someone's not getting thirsty but they're not drinking enough so well, shouldn't there be a goal of sorts well the goal is you
2: should drink when you're thirsty i mean if you are an active individual you are going to get thirsty mm-hmm. so if you're sweating you're perspiring you're working out Yeah, you should be feeling the thirst coming on and you're going to want to have a drink. But yeah, if you're shedding like sweat and all that, you probably are going to be walking around with that gallon bottle of water unfortunately like with senior citizens someone has to be there to have them to drink because they really are not going to know what it's all about to stay hydrated
0: or couldn't other medical conditions not allow your body to gauge okay i'm thirsty exactly so in that case shouldn't there be a goal or if you're on medication
2: well if the goal would be before it was what how many eight ounce uh, yeah eight 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 ounce glasses of water a day day, that was the
0: standard and then of course they changed it to half your body weight in ounces, but still a minimum of the eight ounces. But, you know, we keep getting so much information. And part of that is because we know more, Mm -hmm. even our medical professionals know more as time goes on and things do change. But sometimes it is confusing to know what to follow and what not to follow.
2: Yeah. I mean, the whole thing about drinking is you want to have healthy kidneys. You Mm -hmm. want your kidneys functioning properly. You don't want to get dehydrated because you can't go into kidney failure. So you do want to keep those kidneys replenished with fluids. and in terms of like you said what do you think is recommended or what's required i would stick with maybe like you said the 5 to 8 glasses a day or when you think about it i mean every time you go into the kitchen maybe you should have a drink not a glass but you should you
0: know at least right. have a- now what do you think then about counteracting other things like if you're drinking caffeinated beverages or alcohol, extra water to combat that?
2: I believe you should be because even I'm thinking about myself right now. Usually when I am sitting around having alcohol, a drink or Mm -hmm. what have you, a cocktail, I'm also having water even when I go out. Mm -hmm. You know, generally when I order, I always say I'll have water and I also have. So I think
0: you should always have water.
2: (laughs) What are some of the
0: signs that your body should give you telling you that you need water?
2: Well, you might start getting a little put off. You're not thinking properly, Mm -hmm. okay? And you might even feel dizzy. You might begin to feel nauseous Mm -hmm. when you start to become dehydrated. We probably know that when you're working out, you know, when it's time to take it easy to have a drink or playing a sport or being out in the sun. You're just not feeling yourself. People who are walking in the desert, they become that way once they become dehydrated. Cognitively, they're not right. You don't yeah. want it to get to that point. Well, yeah, that's <laughs> but, a more
0: severe case. But I'm yeah. thinking just kind of on a daily basis with some of those signs. Water. One thing you
2: start feeling, your mouth is dry. Okay. Your mouth becomes very, very dry. Mm-hmm. And that's why I say you really should drink when you feel very thirsty.
0: And don't ignore those right. signs. Right, don't
2: ignore it. Because yeah. the cases that I just told you about, not being yourself and all, those are further on right. signs. But yeah, if you're dry, you just your mouth is parched you should try and have a drink
0: yeah well especially summer is here we've already experienced the summer solstice and you know i've already seen posts online what's your favorite summer cocktail so (laughs) it also comes along with partying and beach parties and backyard parties and all of those things which involve a lot of drinking as well so making sure that we stay protected from the sun and making sure that we stay hydrated. Yolanda, any final words? Yes. Go out and buy yourself some sunscreen.
2: And that's my recommendation to you. Like I said, it comes in all forms and don't forget your lip balm. Yes. Very important. (laughs) Well, thank you so much
0: for joining us today and giving us some wonderful tips and information on staying healthy and enjoying the summer. My pleasure. When I come back, I've got the culture report. This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well-informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Welcome back to the Traveling Culturati. I'm your host and travel pro, Javon Harley. Make sure you head on over to the website. It's TravelingCulturati.com. And when you're there, you can peruse, but don't forget to join the travel club because we go to some fantastic places. And in true Traveling Culturati style, it's an immersive cultural experience. Talking about culture, this is the Culture Report. Culture is forever changing and reflecting what's happening in the society and with its people. It can be born of the arts, music, food, and sometimes politics and strife. This is The Culture Report. Chatting with me today is Susan Whiting, chair on the board of the Women's History Museum. Hello, Susan, and welcome to Traveling Culturati.
1: Hello, Javon. It's a pleasure to be here. Yes,
0: absolutely. And I was super excited. I do have to ask a question, though, because years ago, I was in Dallas. And actually, for the show, I specifically went to Dallas and visited the Women's Museum
1: In Dallas, is there any affiliation after they closed? That's a great question. No, there is not. But what you've pointed out is the fact that we need to have a museum, or many museums and many organizations that focus on women's contributions to American history. But after that closed, the National Women's History Museum, I think simultaneously was working in Washington, D.C. to do a similar thing and really starting with moving a very famous statue of the three women suffrage leaders into the Capitol Rotunda to celebrate the 75th anniversary of the ratification of the 19th amendment. They said, we really need more than a statue. We need a place. And they began a long (laughs) process of fundraising and lobbying to build a museum in Washington, D.C. that would represent women's accomplishments. And So in that process, because it was long, they built a very practical website to gather biographies and to put together exhibits and to provide a resource for everybody who was looking for women's stories and women's contributions to American history. And then began a set of different kinds of events called Women Making History in both Los Angeles and in Washington DC to focus on some of those women people you might know and people you really didn't. Think of the hidden figures kind of stories with Katherine Johnson. They were really ahead of their time if you think about it and providing resources that people could access all over the country. And so right now the National Women's History Museum is the leading cultural institution for women's history by doing this online and by having biographies and virtual exhibits and special panel discussions and all kinds of programming from book clubs to cultural events and music online but we always have wanted to have also a place where people could gather and covid slowed that down a little bit but really excited to tell you and the timing is perfect that we have just opened our first physical exhibit at the Martin Luther King Jr. Library in Washington, DC. That is Washington, DC's central library and it's a beautiful Ms. Van der Rohe building. And we opened last Thursday, actually, on March 30th, an exhibit called, We Who Believe in Freedom, Black Feminist DC. And it is an exhibit focusing particularly on 10 women, but it really covers 20 women who lived in DC whose lives and work over the last 100 years not only affected people in Washington, D.C. and Black women, but actually all women and, in fact, all of us in the United States through some of the groundbreaking work they did in civil rights and in the arts and in all kinds of things that created legal positions that actually have had a much larger impact beyond Washington, D.C. So that exhibit is free. It's in the library. So we add that to our virtual
0: Absolutely. And we didn't establish that in the beginning, that the National Women's History Museum is an online museum right now. But as you said, it's in the works of developing a brick and mortar. But of course, those things take time. And I'm glad that there is at least that presence online. But if you can say for me, what makes it an online museum versus a website? What is that difference?
1: So the difference is we actually have curators and historians and educators on our staff and in our advisors who curate exhibits. So they are online exhibits. So it might be on women in sports and include everything from the history of Title IX, all kinds of figures back in time, but they're curated just as an exhibit that you would see as you walked into a physical location and we have virtual field trips that we do for schools. We produce educational material for teachers, lesson plans, et cetera. So it has both the historical and academic background around specific exhibits. We also do have some small collections. And for example, at this new exhibit we just opened last week, There's also a very interesting, powerful piece of art that is called the Glass Ceiling Breaker sculpture. And it is a glass portrait of Vice President Kamala Harris by a Swiss artist, Simon Berger. And it is actually very, very large, but it's shattered glass that really is her portrait. And it was all about her shattering the glass ceiling. So that is actually in the same space the new exhibit is that you can go in and visit at the library. And we have a very different idea about how to be in a physical space than some other museums. And so, I can
0: only imagine that starting with the online presence and then parlaying that into some physical spaces and or items is probably a very different thing. And it sounds like there's much more intention and thought about that than it would be on the reverse, that we have a physical space and we need a website that will represent that and provide people with that information. And I want to go back to your first exhibit and physical space that you were speaking about. What was the idea about that particular exhibit to be the first?
1: That's a great question. So COVID changed so many of us and the way we think about everything from work and our lives and everything else. And as we have this very strong digital presence, we have over 5 million visitors to our website. It's very well attended from all over the country and the world, actually. But we did want a place And what we started to think about was we wanted really to be in a community center, in a place where it was accessible to everybody and inviting. And at the same time, the Martin Luther King Jr. Library had just been renovated. It is the central library. It's in a fantastic location in Washington, D.C. for visitors and for residents. And they needed not-for-profit groups to come in and help them fill the space. And we thought, well, here's a perfect match. And so we became the museum in residence at the library, which has everything from storytelling areas and podcast spaces to auditoriums and places to hold meetings and panels. And so because it is the Martin Luther King Jr. Library and it's a very special building for that reason, and because we are the National Women's History Museum, we said this exhibit must be about black women. And when we started to really pull back, we realized no one had done an exhibit about Black women feminists. And so that really started our two curators, Dr. Sherry Randolph and Dr. Kendra Field, who are already experts in this area, into their work with scholars from all over the country to build this exhibit, which has women whose names you probably have not heard of, but others you might have, like Congresswoman Eleanor Holmes Norton who is alive and is working very hard today. And so that's why we picked the topic. That's why we're in that location. And the idea is to actually take this model and go to other cities and working in collaboration with organizations in other cities, you know, put on different exhibits that highlight women who you do not know, who have national and local impact. That's
0: awesome. And I think that it's really giving you that as its name suggests, that national appeal. And by having this online presence first as a museum, being able to have those installments in other places. And yes, I do know who Eleanor Owns <laughs> norton is because I'm originally from Washington, D.C., right. so... <laughs> yes. <laughs> so it is a name that's very familiar to me, and I hadn't really thought of it. I am a African-American woman and, of course, followed a lot of Black history, but not really thinking about it in the lane of Black feminism because so much of the work that African-Americans have done for equal justice and women as well has always been that collective kind of effort and not specifically in a feminist lane. And although I know there have been times throughout history, as you said, the story just hadn't been told. I also saw on your website, I thought it was very interesting, as an upcoming event, the Brave Girls virtual story time, Brianna marches through time. Very interesting. Tell us about that.
1: Yes, we've been having a great time really with the book, we call them Hours, or this started during COVID because we were used to producing programs, obviously, digitally. But so many people needed resources for homeschooling adults who were at home who really needed something else to think about and learn. So we started producing Brave Girl Story Hour and getting different authors to read their books or others to read those books. And this is another thing where in collaboration with libraries, we can really do a lot. So we can live stream a book hour in a library, but we can also have the author reading so that's been very popular, but we do that for adult books too. So there are other programs as well. I love the
0: online museum. Thank you so much for bringing everything to light. So again, let's give the website and uh, certainly membership information because all museums need that.
1: Thank you so much. So we are the National Women's History Museum. Our website is womenshistory, all one word, dot org, And you can join as a member for $35. Just come explore. You don't have to be a member to use the website. We are totally privately funded. So it's always helpful when people want to support us. And every single dollar goes toward the programming. So I'm just so pleased that you've allowed us to describe what we do. And you're right. For us, women's history (laughs) is every day, not just in the month of March. So it's great to be talking about this in April.
0: Absolutely and you have some wonderful events coming up in April starting with Brave Girls virtual story time and I love story time I absolutely love story time the National Women's History Museum presents Women's Reflection on the Pandemic Women's History Book Club Lifting as We Climb and then of course the first week in May virtual workshop for educators C3 framework for social studies and historical empathy so again, Susan, thank you so much for joining me today. Looking forward to perusing more.
1: Thank you very much. It was our pleasure. Ladies and gentlemen. This is Traveling Culturati. We explore
0: cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well-informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Ladies and gentlemen...